Ladies and gentlemen, boy, this year has gotten off to a great start already. NFL shenanigans happening. Well, that that that's actually about all that's going on this week. It's controlled chaos. Let's get started. Maybe I'm the one. Maybe I'm the one who is the schizophrenic psycho. Yeah. Maybe I'm the one. Maybe I'm the one who is the schizophrenic psycho. Maybe I am a psycho, but boy, this weekend has been surely interesting. 2020 is already off to a new start. World War III is impending. The NFL playoffs are happening, and the Blues are deciding that they're going to go into a tailspin right during the most important part of the season. Hey, everyone, it's Zach. And uh, yeah, I don't even know where to go with this. This has been unbelievable. 2020 is already full of stories, and I got a new podcast to start. So we're going to do it like this. I'm going to teach you the basic steps of how we're going to be do or formatting this podcast, I should say, and we will go from there. So first segment of the week, this week in sports, for those of you looking for NBA action, Sucks to suck because I'm not doing NBA. I don't watch basketball enough to even give you a slight opinion on what's going on. Whenever the games are all 140 to 135, you are no longer playing basketball. You are playing shoot-around with no defense. So I will cover mostly uh, NFL, college football. I'll watch just about any kind of football. Uh, We'll do a lot of baseball, mostly Cardinals because, you know, St. Louis area might as well. And we'll do blues hockey because I don't watch enough hockey to do a comprehensive NHL look. Maybe I will a little bit whenever the All-Star game comes in in about two weeks or so. So we will get along with that. Uh, So major story this week. The Blues have decided to throw it into a tailspin in a very important stretch of the season. They have lost three straight games. And it is a little disappointing because they are against three of the best teams that they will face all year, probably. First game, they went out to Arizona and lost. It was a close game. I didn't get to watch it. I haven't gotten to watch any of the three losses, to be honest. I watched most of the Colorado game, and that was embarrassing. So the Blues went out. They lost a tight one to Arizona. Jake Allen was a net. Apparently, he stood on his head a little bit. Hot dog man Phil Kessel decided that he was going to win, score the game winner, so 
the, the yeah that happened and then wednesday no thursday night thursday night because the winter classic was on new year's day and that was wednesday thursday night the blues decided that they were going to throw a major wrench into their plans and make stan Kroenke feel happy that he abandoned the city of st louis seven to three jordan bennington was in net i don't know when they finally decided to pull him if they ever did because seven to three is a major score in hockey even if you don't follow it, consider it like the soccer equivalent of Brazil getting owned by Germany in the first round back in 2014, whenever, whenever it was Brazil hosted the world cup, it was embarrassing. The Colorado avalanche are a good team. They are currently second behind St. Louis and the central could get a lot tighter if the blues decide to keep going this way. And then Saturday came, they decided they were going to play a good first period against Vegas. Three goals in one period. Hey, I was looking, I was thinking this was going to be a great game. (laughs) Boy. uh, And then the blues decided to uh, let the former Blues score on them first with Ryan Reeves and then Paul Stasny, you know, for old times sake. So they do that. They give up another goal. It's like, okay, well, you know, and then they gave up the lead with a fourth, fourth goal in the third period, about halfway through. And it was like, Oh, great. You just blew a three goal lead against one of the top teams in the Pacific after you already lost to the other top team in the Pacific in Arizona. And now you're going to blow another lead against Vegas. Okay. And then Perron decided that he was going to score a power play goal. Perron got snubbed in the all-star vote. Been voting for him every day because he needs to, he deserves to be in. 40 points already this year for the Blues. He's on pace to score about 80 points, which is going to be a new career high for him. So if you haven't already, go on NHL.com, last man in, vote other people I don't care who you pick from the other conferences you just need to pick David Perron anyway so the Blues force OT in a game that they really shouldn't have they decided they were only going to play one period of hockey and then they lost in overtime with Jake Allen in goal again so I don't, I don't know what to do because the Blues are too good to be continuing to do what they're doing and they keep wanting to play Zach Sanford and Jake Allen. Hopefully this is a strategy that they are using to ship them off somewhere and get something better. If you're going to do that, you might as well send Falk back to Carolina. Falk has been so bad and too much hype with a bloated extension. It is remarkable how terrible he has been for us to pay him as much as we have been paying him. And then Sanford, I don't even know how he's on a power play unit. He's on the second power play unit. Not that, not that the second power play unit is going to be shown as much ice time on the power play for the blues, but Zach Sanford on a power play. Wow. And now they I'm recording this on a Monday afternoon. The morning skate practice for the Blues 
Jacob De La Rose is being sit or benched for Zach Sanford. Hey, now I am not a huge fan of De La Rose. He, we traded Fabry off because Fabry didn't have a place here in St. Louis. It was kind of sad, but you know, De La Rose, he's a grinder for Ruby type player. So I don't know what's going on. At least they put Cairo back in because Cairo hadn't played the last two games because of Sanford. <sighs> I don't even know. I don't, I don't know what the Blues are thinking, to be honest. I don't know what Barubi sees in Zach Sanford. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. In other news, the Dallas Cowboys finally decided to cut the leash off of Jason Garrett. It took them long enough. You've gone eight and eight in about half the seasons that he's coached. This was his eighth year, so you've been mediocre at best. You've got a quarterback who about at the beginning of the year, about six months ago, he was wanting $40 million a year. $40 million a year for Dak Prescott. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Brady isn't even making $40 million a year. Kirk Cousins yesterday certainly isn't getting $40 million a year, and he beat the Saints at home in New Orleans. And we're going to say that Dak Prescott led an 8-8 eight and eight team who decides not to give Ezekiel Elliott the ball, decides to not give Amari Cooper the ball, and loses the loses the season to an Eagles team that has been injured to hell and back. And you want $40 million a year. Okay. Zeke, he's probably over overpaid. I mean, he is, he is the only thing about that offense that's good. Other than Amari Cooper. Cooper can be spectacular as long as he's not a cancer in the locker room like he normally has been. He's not as bad as Antonio Brown or Stephon Diggs. But you've got to give your star players the ball. That's all I'm going to say. And Dak Prescott does not deserve $40 million. Anyway, I got way off topic. And show I really don't like the Cowboys. I'm not going not gonna to hide it. Matt Perry, I know you're listening to this probably. I like your Giants more than I do the Cowboys, even though they are not good. I'll be nice. So the Cowboys finally fired Jason Garrett. They replaced him with Mike McCarthy. The kicker about this whole deal, McCarthy spent 13 years up in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, tail end of Brett Favre. What did he show again that was so impressive about Green Bay? I mean, honestly, he is the offensive coordinator. He calls his own plays. Why, what did they see in him outside of Aaron Rodgers being one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live? One of the most athletic quarterbacks who was Patrick Mahomes, 
before Patrick Mahomes was a thing. And then to top it all off, Jerry Jones had Mike McCarthy spend the night at his personal house in Dallas just to confirm that he was going to be the new head coach. Cowboys, I really don't like you, and I don't even like the Rams. I don't like the Rams, and it's because you got an idiot owner in Jerry Jones who is more powerful than the game of football, which should not happen. You've got Mike McCarthy, who doesn't deserve a job, I mean, he, he'll be a good coach, but if, if you can't make Aaron Rodgers happy, I don't know what you're going to do as a head coach. Also, Jason Garrett, by all accounts, literally got down on his knees and begged Jerry to, to keep his job, crying almost at every turn that Jerry went to go fire this man. I feel, I don't feel bad for Jason Garrett. I feel bad for him as a man that he can't possibly keep his job. And then the fact that he has to cry and beg Jerry Jones to keep his job. Is that simple? I mean, really, what... What did Jason Garrett do to deserve the job, to keep it as long as he has? Because he is one of the longest tenured coaches in the NFL. Was, I should say. And because you went eight and eight in half of your, half of your seasons there, you got to get down and cry in front of Jerry Jones to keep your job. Man. The NFL is crazy. Now, I'll, I'll break down the games here in a little bit. All of them were pretty good except for the Seattle-Philadelphia game. Multiple reasons for that anyway. So, we'll move into the next topic of discussion here. I've also got some thoughts on the St. Louis Cardinals signing KK, I believe is what he likes calling himself. He is a left-hander from Korea. Already had Tommy John surgery. He was averaging about a 2.5 ERA in the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, which is pretty impressive considering that the average score over there is like 10 to 8 and all the games are played on turf fields and the walls are super short. It's an impressive feat that he has a 2.5 ERA. I'm not going to take that away from him. The Cardinals have been so inept to not bring in any talent so far this year. Marcelo Zuna is still a free agent. Not that we necessarily have to have him because we've already got too many outfielders as it is. Whenever you trade one of your top prospects just for some money, I guess I guess that's what happens. Adolis Garcia got sent to the Rangers a couple couple weeks ago for cash considerations. That's what they like calling money in the MLB for those who are new to the way baseball decides it likes to operate itself. 
So you got Marcelo Zuna still pending as a free agent, probably not coming back. What else have they done? This is a team that got swept out of the NLCS by a wild card team that almost lost in the wild card game. The Nationals didn't even deserve to be there. Twice. They, they shouldn't have won game five in L.A. Then the Dodgers decided it was okay to put playoff Kershaw in there, and he gave up two home runs and let him right back in the game. I don't even want to hear the whole thing about the 10 runs, 10 run inning they put up on the Braves in the first game or in the last game of the NLDS. First inning. I watched that inning. I was impressed. Not very often you see 10 run innings in the playoffs. It gave us another chance to laugh at the Braves and their continued playoff failures. But I mean, you, you got embarrassed by the Washington Nationals who hadn't won a playoff series in their existence until this year. And we're going to say that everything's okay. You won the weakest division in the National League. Only won 91 games this year. Paul Goldschmidt didn't quite pan out like we expected. He's about 40 points below his normal batting average. He finished the year a little above 260, which is really poor for him. He's normally around a 300 hitter. He's Pujols-esque. Way better first baseman, too, fielding-wise than Pujols was. You've got Colton Wong, who's starting to turn into one of the best infielders in all of baseball. You've got a Paul DeYoung that hit 230 this year. You've got Matt Carpenter, who hit 200, probably less than 200 if you're looking at the whole year. And what have you done? You've got Harrison Bader, who can barely hit over 200. You've got Marcelo Zuna, who is no longer here. You've got Dexter Fowler, who had a bounce back year. He did have a better year this year than I was expecting. He had a much better year than what I was expecting. And you've got prospects in Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. What else is there? There's no offense in this lineup. And you went out and got a pitcher who's already had Tommy John, who's on the wrong side of 30. This, this should be a longer rant. This should be a much longer rant than what I am giving this organization. It's just, it, it's, it's disappointing. I don't understand why, why we as a fan base have deserved this. We missed the playoffs three or four years in a row. We go out, we win one playoff series, and everything's hunky-dory. I, I, I am at a loss for words with how inept the Cardinals organization is. I'll probably give them a longer rant here in a little bit next couple weeks so that way I can have more time to prepare and give a thorough argument for what this team needs to do. So be looking for that on the horizon. 
All right. So now I need I need some help as I transition between segments here. I know what I want to call this next segment, but I need to know what I need to call this last segment. I I wanted to do something about just, you know, roundup in sports or whatever. So if you got a name you can think of that wouldn't be like already taken because I watch a YouTuber and his name and he, uh, he does what's called sports ball where he does a review and everything. I want, I would like to call it that, but I'm not going to infringe on that. So I need, I need another suggestion on what I should do for a name for that last segment. This segment, however, is the bull ring bulletin. That's right. All your racing needs and wants all in this one segment. Probably not NASCAR or IndyCar because both of them are boring and dying as a shame that it is. So this is probably where you're going to see all of your World of Outlaws, uh, American Sprint Car Series, uh, USAC, Power Eye recaps. And I'll probably do a St. Francis County Raceway weekly update here. I'll probably try to stay as impartial, try to give more results in that seg- in that part of this report. But all the other series, you'll, you'll get normal fired up, Zach, because I got lots of things to say about the way people treat what's going on. Anyway, the only real big thing going on this past weekend was the Tulsa shootout. Almost 1,400 micro sprints and other goodies were there. Had some mod lights and some junior sprints. Not super exciting, but 1,400 cars is impressive. The only real noticeable wins that we should give out were Alex Bright from Pennsylvania winning the stock non-wing. This guy has been a great midget racer for a long time. Uh, He's normally driving a bright neon orange neon orange neon yellow uh midget and he is one of the best midget racers probably in the country he dabbles in a lot of micro sprint stuff too so uh glad to see him pick up a golden driller also big shout out to my man the macho man brady bacon for taking home outlaw non-wing they said that was his fourth driller, but his first and without a wing on it. So that's impressive, even though his new micro team is a winged micro. So we'll see, we'll see how Brady Bacon develops uh, develops the new driver as a rookie in the micro sprint. I'm not familiar with the kid that he picked out, so my my mis- apologies to him and. For not knowing his name. My apologies also go out to the Wing Outlaw winner, which was Emerson Axum. A-X-S-O-M. I believe I am saying that name right. Emerson Axum won the Outlaw Winged Micro Division. That was kind of a shocker. I have never heard of this kid. Apparently he's pretty good. Uh, and so I give him major props because winning a Division with, I believe it was like over 300 entries in that division. That's impressive. I, I'll give him credit where credit is due, even though I don't know the guy. So, much 
many kudos to him for driving his tail off. 55 laps there is a long time, and I believe he won starting up front, so I can't knock him for wiring basically the entire race. 55 laps is a long time for any race car driver. Oh, wait, I was I was completely mistaken. I totally forgot to uh, do a recap on all things late models going on. World of Outlaws late model series. Morton Building's late model series kicked off the brand new year at the new Vado Speedway Park in Vado, New Mexico. Battle at the Border, I believe it was called. Brand new facility, brand new... Uh, Brand, uh, not a brand new series, a lot of brand new drivers coming to the World of Outlaws late model circuit. I'll definitely be covering the Lucas Oil late model dirt series as well. So all of you stock car people, I follow them as well. So don't fret one bit because I did not forget you. I almost did, but I did not forget you. Uh, three nights at the Vado Speedway Park. Night one went to Smoky Chris Madden driving the Scott Bloomquist 0M car. Good win for Smokey in his first World of Outlaws race with Team Zero. Uh, Saturday night, went to the Canadian, Ricky Weiss, in the car number seven. That was a good race for him to win as well, his rookie year on the World of Outlaws late mile series campaign. And then Sunday night, 75 lapper, $15,000 to the thriller, Kate Dillard driving the his family owned 97 that was he's a graduate from modifieds he won a lot of modified races and so he has jumped to late models and this is his first full year on the world of outlaws late model trail so good wins for chris madden for ricky weiss and the thriller Kay dillard at the new Vado Speedway Park, the World of Outlaws sprint cars will invade that area around the end of April. So be interesting to see how the sprint cars handle the new Vado Speedway Park. From what I saw Thursday night practice, the track was very, very fast. It looked really nice. The Saturday and or Friday and Saturday, the track blacked off really quick. So I'm not real sure what happened there. They said the racing was still excellent, um, especially on Sunday night. Uh, with the Dillard getting the best of Brandon Shepard, the defending World of Outlaws Late Mile Series champion, on a late restart to claim the $15,000 prize. So we will see how Vado uh, unfolds. I've got a lot of complaints with the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series uh, schedule. I'll probably make a rant about that uh, later on, along with my Cardinals rant. So we'll, we'll, we'll pace ourselves here. I got plenty of things to say and plenty of things to gripe about here with the World of Outlaws Late Model Series, the World of Outlaws in general, and dirt track racing in general. I'll be breaking down every uh, NFL game from this past weekend, uh, wild card round games were going on. But before we do that, we'll start a new segment called the Song of the Week. I know, very generic title. Song of the Week uh, honors. I have gotten into or tried to expand my reaches of music finding new music for uh the st francis county raceway that's why i mentioned it earlier i do announcing out there and part of my job was to find new music for uh the public address system 
uh, before races and in between whenever we take uh, intermission. So I've had to really broaden my horizons a little bit, find some new bands and some new songs to play out there. So hopefully uh, you guys enjoy the music that you hear out there, and you'll probably get to hear most of them on this podcast if you don't get to go out there. I normally play play everything I find at the racetrack, and I'll try to mix in some new songs here on the podcast. This first one belongs to the Foo Fighters. Reminds me of the 2006 Madden video game on the old Xbox. Whenever you went to the home screen, you had your favorite team playing. Of course, we were the St. Louis Rams, and we had pictures of Mike Martz and Mark Bolger. Yay! What an underperforming team that was back in the 2005 timeline. So much talent and so little potential because of how terrible a coach Mike Martz was and how average Mark Bolger was. Anyway, so this game was, or this song was on that video game. It's No Way Back by the Foo Fighters.
once again, that was No Way Back by the Foo Fighters, taking it back to 2005. I must uh, let you know, though, that I do not own the rights to that music, and Roswell Records has that in hand. I do not own the rights to the intro music you heard as well. Psycho by Puddle of Mud, M-U-D-D. Usually the Ds are spelled backwards on the uh, cover uh, because they made so many great hits, I felt like I needed to clarify that. I actually own like four of their songs through Apple Music on my phone. They're actually not a terrible band. I like them. Uh, Puddle of Mud, that is. Uh, Food Fighters, I'm still trying to get acquainted to or accustomed to, I should say. Anyway, uh, it's time for the second to last segment probably of the week. Uh, This is the main event. Ding, ding. Pretend you heard a little, uh, pretend you heard a bell sound going off or something. I got to try to find something to make this a little more, uh, you know, like amped up, ready to go. Uh, Anyway, break down all four of the uh, NFL games you saw or may have saw this week. Uh, we'll start with the boring game first. Uh, Seattle at Philadelphia, uh, 17-9. The Seahawks beat the Eagles. Eagles really didn't deserve to be there in the first place. Uh, they've been injured so much this year, and it's amazing that they even got there. I already voiced my uh, opinions on the Cowboys, and that's exactly why uh, they did not make the playoffs. So inept and overpaid and terrible coaching. Anyway... So the Eagles made it, made it in the playoffs, won the NFC East, the worst division in football, uh, and so they got a date with the first wild card in the Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks going into the game were 11-5, and five, and they did not show it. Uh, they let Philly stay around way too long, especially considering uh, Carson Wentz went down with a apparent head injury uh, late in the game, or late in the first half, I should say. Uh, one of the linemen for the Seahawks had fallen on him, kind of driving his head into the grass there at Century League Field. And so uh, he was out for the remainder of the game. Uh, I want to make a quick comment, though. Uh, for those that that say that Carson Wentz is injury prone, yes, yes, Carson Wentz is injury prone, but you cannot use a head injury as a uh, way of saying he's injury prone. Not, Not in good taste and not – super scientific if you're being real honest with yourself uh head injuries are just something that happens not not any way controllable by the player uh i mean he had his helmet dug, dig down into the grass on the field there's no way he can prevent that so don't don't use a concussion to uh make your argument that he's injury prone because he is you can you can talk about the broken back that he had you can talk about the torn acl that he's had but you can't use concussions to say that Carson Wentz is injury prone. Anyway, so Josh McCown came in. Uh, Eagles are his ninth team in 17 seasons for Josh McCown. Competitor with Peyton Manning for the biggest forehead in football history. Anyway, uh, he led the Eagles on a couple of drives, scored a couple field goals. Uh, actually didn't do terrible, just not good enough to beat the Seahawks on that day. Uh, Beast Mode ran it in for a touchdown late in the first half that made it 10-3 going into the half. They got another touchdown. Uh, 17-9 was the final. They'll get a wonderful Wisconsin date with the Green Bay Packers, uh, two teams that are super overrated. 
One's carried by uh, a great quarterback in Russell Wilson. The other one, lucky to be 13-3, and three, especially considering the two of their three losses, they were embarrassed by the Chargers, who were, uh, well, a good team, but were on the bad side of a lot of close games. And then they got owned by the one seed in the Western or in the NFC and the 49ers. So we'll see. We'll see how that game goes. Anyway, we'll go to the uh, we'll go in chronological order now. Uh, Houston defeated Buffalo 22-19 in overtime. That was a interesting game. Uh, I was surprised the Bills put up 16 on the Texans so quickly. They came right out of right about Five minutes into the third quarter, they were already up 16 to nothing. Uh, Josh Allen, not super impressive as a quarterback, but the uh, Deshaun Watson apparently got off to a super slow start. I think they said after the game he was sacked seven times. Uh, I mean, Deshaun Watson can carry a team, but he is not good enough to carry a team that's that lets him get sacked seven times. Anyway, so uh, Bills were up. 16 to nothing late in the third. I actually didn't get to watch a lot of this game. I was at a baseball practice and uh, had to uh, skip out on watching some of that game. I got to see the last little bit. By that point, the Texans had already taken a 19-16 lead, uh, scored two touchdowns with both conversions being good and a field goal to take the lead. Uh, Steven Hauschka, wonderful name that is for a kicker, Hauschka. Anyway, uh, he made a short field goal late in the late in the game to force it into overtime, uh, and the, both teams had possession of the ball. Uh, Texans were able to put a drive together. Got, I believe it was a forty-seven yard field goal, and uh, got the win. So twenty-two nineteen, Houston will go on to face Kansas City. That'll be an interesting game. I don't know. A lot of people are saying the Chiefs are going to win by a lot. I believe uh, it'll be a much closer game than a lot of people are giving it to be. I think uh, Deshaun Watson can make a game out of it considering how uh, bad the Chiefs' defense has been for most of the year. They have decided that they're going to actually play defense after their bye week, but uh, i just not convinced that the Chiefs' defense can make uh, can stop Deshaun Watson and make it not a close game like a lot of people are projecting. Uh, we'll go to the next game now. This was probably the biggest shocker of the weekend. Tennessee going into Foxborough and leaving with a 20-13 to 13 win. It was, it was a bizarre game because the first half was actually pretty good football. Uh, conditions were less than ideal for most of the game. It was cold. It was windy, uh, foggy. It was rain moving in late in the game. And Titans... We're uh, up 14, I believe it was 14-13 at the half, too. And, well, I say that. 14-13 at the half. Uh, stayed like that for most of the game. And you waited. It was one of those classic Tom Brady games where you waited for Darth Vader to come back out of his shell and just, like, release uh, panic among everybody. Uh, he, he actually never did. I feel bad for him, though, because of, the way the way the team is built this year it's got a great defense the defense did its job uh Tennessee had been really good on offense uh up until this game and really kind of got shut down uh other than Derrick Henry Derrick Henry had over 
200 total yards of offense, 180 of which was on the ground. Uh, so Derrick Henry was a major game changer there. But the Patriots were able to keep him off the scoreboard. And, you know, Tom Brady, he's 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 one he's probably the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not as much as I dislike the Patriots and I dislike the fact that they've been caught cheating so many times and you know the dynasty is still going on. I don't believe the dynasty is dead after what happened yesterday. But the way this team was built this year, there was nothing there to help Tom Brady out this year other than Julian Edelman and Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle is a good running back. He's actually turned out way better than uh, Nick Chubb ever did. Nick Chubb and uh, Sony Michelle were the same year down at Georgia and Sony Michelle done has done way better for the Patriots than I I could have thought he would have done. He was known as the small speed back and I mean he's really turned into a good running back for the Patriots. And Julian Edelman, I mean you can't say that he's bad. He just he can't do everything himself. And that's the problem this year. He was their only good receiver this year. Everything else was bits and pieces put together. A lot of rookies, Nikhil Harry and I, man, I, I feel bad for the Patriots in, in that respect, but I don't feel bad at all because I'm so glad that we don't have to see the Patriots in another Super Bowl. Uh, but uh, for all the people saying that Tom Brady is not coming back, you are all buffoons. He will come back. He'll play for the Patriots. They'll, they'll figure out a way to make the dynasty last 25 years. He'll keep playing past 45, even though that's when he says he wants to retire, and that'd be three seasons away. I think he'll probably play until he's like 50. There's a good chance of that. Uh, But anyway, Tennessee uh, knocked off the Patriots. Good win for Ryan Tannehill. That was his first uh, playoff game. There was also a stat, and they said uh, that all of the – that all of the other starters in the AFC had four postseason starts and I believe zero touchdowns thrown. Tom Brady has 40 postseason starts and 30 wins no wait no 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 i'm i'm thinking that wrong i just i just remembered it it was 40 postseason games that tom brady has been in he's won 30 of them the other quarterbacks in the afc combined have four starts and zero wins ryan Tannehill went into foxborough for his first postseason game ever he's been trapped in the prison that's known as the miami dolphins and he's been released to the Tennessee Titans and he went to Foxborough and got the Tennessee Titans their first playoff win in a long time uh so that was good to see so the Titans have a date with uh, Baltimore I don't think that game will be close I think Baltimore will be able to shut them down enough offensively and the Baltimore Ravens have such a good offense with Lamar Jackson and uh, Mark Ingram I don't know that'll be much of a game I think the predictions are saying that the Titans-Ravens will be a closer game than Texans-Chiefs. I am the opposite of that. I think Texans-Chiefs will probably be a pretty good game. Baltimore will take care of business against uh, Tennessee. Uh, and then the final game, that was that was the second biggest uh, surprise this year. Drew Brees is out in round one. Wild card uh, game. Saints probably should have been the two seed. I don't know how all the tiebreakers worked and whatnot because the Packers and the Saints were both 13-3. and three. I don't know if it was division record. I don't know if it was... 
I honestly don't know what it was. Uh, but the Saints were the three seed, and they were at home against Minnesota. Uh, Kirk Cousins leading, leading the team. Kirk Cousins has had no success, and yet the Saints lost in the at home in overtime to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I, I, I know there is a lot of controversy between the uh, between the uh, touchdown that should have probably been reviewed, but wouldn't have been overturned anyway with the whole pass interference thing. Even whenever, like whenever they showed the replays of it, yes, he did push off, but that it wasn't like the pass interference thing from last year. So for those that don't know, the saints were in the NFC championship game last year and probably should have won that game. And the refs missed a pass interference call. And so they went in this past off season and they changed all the all uh, the rules saying that uh, pass interference can be challenged or reviewed. Uh, in this case, it would have been had to have been reviewed from the officials because once you get into the last two minutes of a half or into the overtime period, there are no coaches challenges allowed. So the the Kyle Rudolph, the Vikings uh, tight end pushed off with one hand. It was a one hand full extended and he shoved off, got enough space to make the catch. And it was a touchdown with the way that the NFL had been uh, reviewing these types of calls probably wouldn't have been overturned anyway, but uh, probably should have been looked at for the sake of looking at it. If you're not going to have a, if you're not going to use the rule that you put in place for this exact uh, scenario why have the rule if you're because through I believe it was week seven only one of the 33 challenges that had been used uh, on, to challenge for pass interference only one of them had been changed so your success rate of getting this uh, challenge overturned or your call overturned was very low to begin with and I don't know. I, I, I don't want to hear, hear it from Saints fans because it wasn't going to be overturned anyway. But I also don't like the NFL for not at least pretending like you're going to look at it. Once the, once the call was made, the refs were off the field. They didn't even like go in to look at it. I think that's probably where most people feel like the NFL did wrong there. So I will uh, – I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to – sit and moan and take the Saints side because I really don't feel the Saints in this particular instance. I did last year. Last year they got they really did get screwed out of uh, going to the Super Bowl. But this year you shouldn't have let the Vikings, who were, I believe it was a seven-and-a-half-point underdog, beat you at home. It shouldn't have gone into overtime in the first place. Drew Brees, the Saints had eight turnovers offensively all year. That was the fewest all time. And then they had two yesterday. One of them was a pick, was an interception, I should say. Well, interception for those that may not follow football as much. Uh, he threw an interception, I believe it was in the late in the first quarter, that kind of stymied the drive, and it kind of backfired a little bit. And then uh, late in the fourth quarter, Taysom Hill had put them in field goal range, and they were only down by three at that time. They were down 20 to 17. Taysom Hill, uh, one of the backup QBs for uh, the Saints, who is an absolute animal. I am 
I I'm, I sit in amazement at every time Taysom Hill touches the football. Uh, he I believe he should be the next quarterback of the Saints before Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, whenever Drew Brees decides he finally wants to hang it up. Uh, that'll probably be soon. I think as soon as the cl- window closes on the Saints, Drew Brees will be out. I think he'll be back next year. I think Brady will be back with the Patriots next year. I don't think he's going anywhere. But once Brees finally retires, I believe it should be Taysom Hill's team. Uh, he threw a bomb down the field late or in the first half and got the Saints on the scoreboard with a touchdown. Uh, and then he busted off like a 25-yard run late in the fourth quarter. And then the next play, Drew's or Breeze went back to pass and he knocked the ball or had the ball knocked out of his hand on the surgically repaired thumb that he had. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. He the defender hit him like in the tricep area and he just let go of the ball. Minnesota recovered and wound the clock down. And Breeze did good to get him a I believe that was a forty nine yard field goal that uh Will Lutz had to make in that game. Uh, Will Lutz missed a missed a 47-yard field goal in uh, right before halftime, and that could, that was a big missed kick too. I don't believe anybody brings that up. He's normally money within 50 yards, and Will Lutz missed a 47-yard kick that was right in the center of the field, and he he missed it. It was it was impressive. It was something that I wasn't expecting. Uh, but anyway. Uh, Yes, Saints lose. Vikings get a date with uh, the 49ers. Uh, that game probably won't be very good. I will leave. Uh, I'll do some picks here in the next little bit as we wind the show down. Hello. Uh, this is Zach from uh, Recording uh, Review. And I was looking on uh, Twitter and I saw that Tua Tagovailoa has decided that he's going to go uh, to the NFL draft. And what a mistake that young man is making. Uh, I, I understand a lot of the, the commentators that you'll see on like ESPN or Fox Sports. They, they are all on the side that Tua should go ahead and go to the NFL rehab with NFL because he dislocated his hip. For those that don't know or don't follow college football as much, Tua Tagovailoa was considered the number one prospect in all of college football last year. Uh, and most of this year, too. Uh, he got he sprained an ankle earlier in the year, had surgery on the sprained ankle. That was the first time I'd ever heard of that. He got airlifted uh, to a hospital, I believe it was in Texas, and got a surgery on a sprained ankle so that way he could play against LSU. Came back, looked he he did good. He he improved in the second half, had a slow first half, and really led Alabama close to winning that game against LSU in the first uh in in, in the first game that he got back from that. The next week, they were up thirty-eight to three on Mississippi State. Mississippi State, nowhere near caliber of Alabama. And it was a freak play. It was. It almost looked like a Bo Jackson esque uh, uh, type play, where Tua was. They they put Tua back in to practice the two minute offense. It was less than two minutes to go. Less in the first half, Alabama was up big, and they were just going to go out there and try to practice their two minute offense with the first team. I, I I understand that call there from Nick Saban. A lot of people blame this on Nick Saban. I don't. I think it was just a freak accident. Anyway. So Tua makes a throw, 
and he's chased down by two defenders. And after the throw, the defenders finally get to him and they tackle him. But whenever Tua goes down, he goes down basically knees first. Like he, it was almost like uh, he was giving somebody a piggyback ride and his legs kind of gave out from under him and he, and his knees uh, went into the ground first uh, and, and it dislocated his hip and it broke and it had a fracture in his posterior wall. I had never heard of that before. Whenever I saw it, I, I knew he had dislocated his hip because it looked exactly like the Bo Jackson play back in 1991 whenever he was with the Raiders and kind of went down awkwardly. His leg was so muscular that it just popped the, the joint out of socket and it was, it was a career-ending injury for Bo Jackson. He was never the same. Tried playing with a hip replacement with the Chicago White Sox in 93. Just never was the same person. So I understand the, the, the thought process whenever you say, Tua, you need to go to the NFL draft, get that money, and then get out. We've, we've been jolted or... I'm trying to find the right way to say this. We have been scorned by the same exact thing the last two years with Mizzou basketball. Whenever we got the Porter brothers to come to Mizzou with, with their dad being the assistant coach, it was, it was a great thing because Michael Porter Jr. was considered the number one prospect in all of America for the NBA, and we knew we were only going to have him for one year. And so we, he comes here, he gets – gets hurt in the first game breaks like has a fracture in his back he's out for the whole year he comes back and tries to play in the tournament because the team was so good they were able to get in the tournament barely led by his brother Jonte which was a completely different story uh and he and he just went straight to the NBA has just now this was two years ago that this happened just now he started in his first NBA game I understand the the prospect of getting money while you can, and I'm not I'm not gonna rag Tua for this. But I, uh, my personal belief is that Tua should have stayed, and I say that because one, you're gonna get probably just as good medical care at Alabama that you will at anywhere else. Now, if he was at like a place like Vanderbilt or some other smaller school. I would say go to the NFL, go heal up there because their facilities are going to be much better. Alabama is the, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. They are the Dallas Cowboys in terms of facilities for their football players. They're not nearly as terrible as the Cowboys are, but they are just as good facility-wise as probably any of the lower market uh, NFL teams. That's exactly where two is going whenever he gets drafted. Why would you why would you go to the NFL knowing that you're not going to play this next year? I don't understand why they're they're still projecting him as a top 10 pick after he dislocated his hip and he can barely walk. For a left-handed quarterback, which is a rarity in a, in and of itself, he he's a scrambler. He's like a he's he's like Johnny Manziel with a better arm who's left-handed. I don't, I don't get the thought process behind it other than it's a money grab and he's just going to try to get money because he knows his career is probably over. Now, I could be wrong. I know Tua is a great person. Everybody says he's a great Christian 
person and his whole family is good and everything. I, I'm fine with saying that I hope that he becomes better than what he once was. But we've seen this happen with star athletes who are freaks of nature and they do, and something happens to them and they're not the same. This is like him tearing an ACL, but it's worse. Dislocating a hip for a running quarterback is probably one of the worst things that could have happened to Tua. It's simple as that. I don't, I don't, I don't know any other way to explain this. That I think this is a bad mistake. I feel like Tua should have went ahead and finished out because he would have been a senior next year, and try to win a title. If you can come back, man, I I I don't like Alabama football. If you can tell, I don't like big money organizations. I I root for the underdog most of the time, and for, I. I feel bad for Tua because I've seen how great of a player he can be. He can be a really good player, but I know that he probably won't be the same, and I feel like he should test the waters in college before he tries to make it to the NFL. It's it's his choice, and he's already made it. He's already, I think he's already signed a signed agent, and if you do that, you can't go back to college football. You can do that for college basketball, but once you've signed an agent with college football, you're done. So... Uh, I will go ahead and put this here, and I will see you in the picks section up next. Uh, so with that, I will go ahead and start closing things down. Uh, next week, I will be doing a uh, my picks for the Chili Bowl. Yes, Super Bowl for uh, all of the racing fans everywhere. I believe the entry count's already at or above 350. I don't remember what the record is. It's been made recently. It was like 370 or something. So it's close to record territory. Uh, qualifying nights were released a couple days ago. Uh, so I will do my picks for that next week. I will get this show out earlier next week as well. I will record probably Sunday night after the football games are over. And I will go ahead and make my picks probably during bullet or uh, bull ring bulletin. And, uh, We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I will definitely do my research because there are lots of contenders each night, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be quite interesting. Uh, so my last little deal I want to do here, uh, I will go ahead and pick the NFC playoff game or NFL playoff games for this coming weekend. Uh, believe it. I don't remember. I don't know what the order is for these games, so I'm just going to go ahead and go uh, NFC through AFC. Uh, first game, I will go ahead and pick uh, 49ers over Vikings. Uh, I don't think Minnesota will get past round one. I don't. I don't really think uh, they should have won the first game. To be honest, they did a good good enough job to get past a Saints team that really blew it this year. Uh, so I'll go ahead and pick 49ers uh, in game one. Uh, game two, uh, Green Bay and Seattle in Green Bay. Uh, that game's a lot tougher for me. I don't really think that either team deserves to be there, especially Green Bay being the two seed. Uh, you know what? I'll go ahead and go with Green Bay uh, just for the sake of having home field advantage. Uh, their, def their defensive line can be really good at times. Uh, they got the Smith brothers, quote-unquote, 
Uh, they're not really brothers, but they're both last name Smith. So, and they're really good players. So I'll go ahead and pick green Bay, but I don't think it'll be a, uh, I really don't think it'll be that good of a game and it could really go either way. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there for the AFC. Uh, Baltimore will beat Tennessee. Like I, like I said earlier, I don't believe uh, Ryan Tannehill will go two for two as a starter. It would be impressive, uh, but Baltimore having a week off to prepare, they were already really good. Uh, I just believe Baltimore is the superior team, and they will uh, thoroughly beat Tennessee. The final game is Kansas City and Houston in in KC. This one, I believe Kansas City will win, but I do believe that Houston will try to make it a game. I know they played earlier in the year and Kansas City embarrassed them. It wasn't it wasn't a good game. Uh, I think that KC is kind of overrated because of their because of their reliance on three players. They rely on Mahomes, they rely on Hill, and they rely on Kelsey. If one of them isn't working, then none of them are working. Mahomes, he's done enough recently to win games, but he has been putting up super great numbers. So I believe it's important to, to, if you can limit Mahomes, I think you can shut down Kansas City. I don't think Texans will be good enough to do that per se well enough to win this game, but I do believe that Kansas City will win, but it it won't be a blowout like everybody else is thinking. So anyway, with that, I will go ahead and leave you guys here. Uh, This is Zach, and this was Controlled Chaos for week one here on the air.